You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, once again, welcome to our Bible study time this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to pull them out now and let's turn them over to Acts chapter 2. I am uh, today going to be delivering the second part to a, a study I gave last week, which we entitled Continuing to Be the Church. Or the challenge, Continue Being the Church. In our previous study, we looked at the birthing of the church. The Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 who gathered in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. As they were there, the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. They began to, to, to speak in different dialects. An amazing thing that was happening, a supernatural thing that was happening. A promise being fulfilled that God made through the prophet Joel. But as they were speaking in these tongues, it was on the day of Pentecost, the day that the church would be birthed, there would be others from different regions that would be hearing this. And this would lead to Peter standing up and giving scriptural reference to this. It would actually become the first sermon that we have recorded in the book of Acts, the first sermon given by Peter. And there in his sermon, he basically pointed to all of these people that, listen, this is, this is a plan of God that is recorded in his word, a plan of salvation, a plan with a savior, a plan with a savior that would be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Peter said, listen, God is offering us salvation through Jesus Christ. And you guys, you've missed it as Jews. And it says that when, when they, they heard this, they were cut to the heart. There was, there was deep conviction. They realized that they had been wrong about Jesus. They realized then that he truly was the Messiah. And so they said, what must we do? How can we make this right? They expressed the words that countless millions would begin to cry out over the centuries when confronted with the truth about Jesus. Peter said in verse 38, you need to repent. And that means to change direction. You believed previously that Jesus was a blasphemer. You believed he was a fraud. But now you realize you were wrong. Okay, now you need to turn from that to what you now have heard and what you now know to be true and right about Jesus. In verse 38, he also says, you guys need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And be saved, he says in verse 40, from this perverse generation. When you genuinely turn to Jesus, there's a genuine turning from the perverse culture that is lost and doesn't know Jesus. As Paul would say later in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and all things now have become new. And the result of this, the birthing of the church in verse 41 they gladly received, they welcomed Peter's word and were baptized. And it says 3,000 souls were added to them and they were saved. What a day. What a beginning of the church. 
What a witness. The church that Jesus said he would build in Matthew chapter 16 was now birthed. And this is what happens today when the church is continuing to be the church. Last week, as we were giving the close to the Bible study, I, I noted that there would be a number that you could, you could call, you could text yes to if you prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And the same message that Peter was preaching, I preached, who Jesus was, what salvation was, and that you could receive that free gift of salvation. And many people did that and were texting to us, yes, 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 yes. This is what happens when the church continues to be the church. Genuine salvation is going to take place because Jesus is being preached. And because Jesus is being preached, the Holy Spirit is going to be cutting people to the heart. And those people are going to start repenting and putting their faith in Jesus for the remission of their sins. Just like on the day the church was birthed. God will be converting and transforming those who are repenting. And people will start being baptized. In other words, desiring to make a public witness of what Jesus has done in their lives. What else did we talk about as far as the church being the church? Well, in verse 42, there was also a focus on God's word. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So biblical teaching marked their lives. It marked their gatherings. They didn't minimize God's word. They didn't water down God's word. They didn't gloss over God's word. No, they continued in God's word. They continued digging in and learning from the whole counsel of God's word. So again, today, if we are to continue being the church, we must trust God's word to do God's word. God's work is supernatural and his word is supernatural. It is eternal. It is inspired. He wrote this. He inspired all of these men to write these things down. And it, is, and it is inerrant. And it's able to pierce every single soul. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about that, that is listening to this right now. There is nobody listening to this Bible study right now that is beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit convicting you with the word of God. Open your heart. Believer, non-believer alike. Open your heart to God's word. Let God's word do God's work in your heart this morning as we study his word. Thirdly, there was an emphasis on quality fellowship. They continued, it says in verse 42 as well, steadfastly in fellowship. And we noted that that word fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, means communion. It means to have in common. Fellowship speaks not so much of a social event, but it speaks of a spiritual work. A, a spiritual participation. It's God's kids sharing with each other what Jesus has done in their lives. It's me sharing his life with you. It's you sharing his life with me. It's letting his love work through my life to touch you. It's you letting his love work through your life to touch me. That's our bond. That's our spiritual cement that holds us together. Again, we've been given the same mind as Christians, the mind of Christ. We have the same Father, the same Heavenly Father. 
His spirit lives in all of us who are his children. That's why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about the fellowship of the spirit. Well, they continued steadfastly in fellowship while they lived in a very hostile world that was anti-Christianity. That means, again, they had to create some very unique ways to continue developing fellowship. And they did. And if we are to continue being the church today, we are going to have to continue being creative with how we are going to fellowship together as the church today. And I'm so glad I pointed out a lot of different ways we're, we're doing that uh, within the church. But I'm so grateful for all of you that are, you're, you're having webinars, you're doing FaceTime with each other, you're doing Zoom meetings with each other, the, the hundreds of phone calls that are going on throughout our church, the porch visitations, and the ministry continues to go on because the life of Jesus within the church will not be stopped by a pandemic. The life of the church will work through a pandemic. Fourthly, it says that they were breaking, there was the breaking of bread. And no doubt this speaks again of them eating together, but in their day, they often closed their meals by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And they would do that in larger gatherings and in home settings. Again, if we are to continue being the church, we are going to be looking for creative ways to break bread. And I know that we are allowed to do this legally, and, and, and we can do that in our homes by visiting people with, you know, groups of people less than 10 and whatnot as far as visitors. And, of course, using the precautions that we should. For certain people today, they are dealing with some underlying health issues, and that poses some challenges. And that's why we've been doing some porch visits and just even taking communion in very unique ways, letting people drive up on the property and partake of the Lord's Supper together, celebrating his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed. Here in Acts chapter 2, it says that they continued doing these things. How important is that? And, and then number five, it says that they, they continued steadfastly in prayer. You know, a read through the New Testament, you can see that the early church prayed together a lot. In Acts chapter 2 here, we see that those who were part of the church when it was birthed were hunkered down in a prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were let out of jail after they were released out of prison. They were arrested for healing a lame man. And it says they find other Christians gathered. And they, they, they come to them and they tell them what happened. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, that the group raises their voice to God with one accord and they were praising God as creator. It says in verse 29 through 30 that they began to petition God to protect them from the threats of the enemy and that they would have the boldness to speak God's word that God would work miracles through them through the name of Jesus. A praying group. In Acts chapter 4, later on, in verse 
31 following that, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did speak the word of God with boldness. And it goes on to say that they had you know, all things in common, and there was great power that, that God gave to the leadership, to the apostles and whatnot. And great grace was upon them all. What a great result of a praying church. In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, the, the early church leaders were dealing with the, the Hellenist widows. They, they were feeling like they were, they were not getting the same treatment as the rest of the church. A Hellenist widow would be uh, a widow who was part Greek and part Jew. And so that was brought to the the leadership attention. And the leaders said, therefore, you know, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, but men that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may appoint over the doling out of the goods. But the leadership, Peter, John, another, they said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And listen, it's going to be hard for a church to prioritize prayer if they don't have a leadership that prioritizes prayer. I've been so blessed over these years to be part of a church, but part of an assembly, whether it's in a large gathering in our sanctuary or in homes, where we have learned to prioritize prayer. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod was being harassed, or was, excuse me, was, King Herod was harassing the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with a sword because he saw that it pleased the Jews, and he had Peter arrested. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. All over the New Testament, Paul shows how the early church made praying together and praying for one another it was a priority 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 you also helping together in prayer for us notice that that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many Philippians chapter 1 verse 19 I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In Philemon, verse 22, Paul, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I shall be given to you. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul tells us that the church was is to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving, listen, be made on my behalf by, by all men and all women. Why did the church pray so much? 
Well, in John's gospel, Jesus in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, before Jesus went to the cross, he had promised that whatever we would ask in his name, he would do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, he's like, I'm going to do that. And again, to ask something in the name of Jesus is to recognize his authority, to ask in his authority, in his will, in his way, in his timing. That's the idea. And it seems that the early church took that promise to heart. It seems that the early church took that promise as the source of God's provisions to all of their questions, to all of their requests, and to all of their needs. They relentlessly pursued God through prayer. They relentlessly pursued God's help through prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, if I say to you that if two or three agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. What's Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about the value of joining our prayers together, whether it's in large assemblies or small assemblies. Imagine what it was like for this group, the early church, to, um, to approach God. A, a group that felt like, you know, the only way we could approach God before the cross was to go to a priest. And to have that priest really rec represent us through sacrifice and through offering. But now they can, they can come to Christ and, and, and be touched by him and be filled by him. I can imagine how passionate their prayer time was. I'm sure it was hard for them to, to hold back tears and the praise in those early settings as they gathered together as transformed children of God. Prayer is a great way for us to be connected as we are living under a stay-home order. It will knit our hearts together. It will line up our will with his will, our vision with his vision. What we are and what we do will be in step with our commander-in-chief if we are regularly talking with our commander-in-chief. The early church's ability to move forward and proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition was a result of prayer. If you don't have anyone to pray with, please contact us. If you're a new Christian or you're new to Christianity and you need someone to pray with, please contact us. If we are to continue to be the church, we will need people who are creative in how they will pray. We are going to need people that will be committed to these creative ways 
and will continue to pray. I have learned that prayer is vital to the spiritual health and the spiritual growth of a church. And studying and teaching God's word, I realized that the seed of God's word must be saturated in prayer if it is to germinate and produce life. Biblical preaching will be ineffective if it is not grounded and saturated with fervent prayer. In leading the church, prayer must precede our every step. Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed and established it, the Lord is his name, and he says, Call unto me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Again, prayer must proceed our every step as the church. In the early church, in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, as God would desire to expand the church, do new things with the church, get people outside of the four walls of their church so that he could advance his kingdom throughout the Roman Empire, a lot of that would depend on them praying. In Acts chapter 13, we see there in Antioch, it says, now in the church in Antioch, there were certain prophets, there were certain teachers, there was Barnabas and Simeon, uh, who was called Niger, there was Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And it says this in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. Then having fasted and prayed, it says they laid hands on them and they sent them away. And then it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. I love that. They went down to Seleucia. And from there they went to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. I like that passage. It shows the priority of prayer. It shows the power of prayer. And it shows how they were, the early church, being directed through prayer. They weren't looking to man. They weren't looking to a movement. They were looking to God. A God who saw where that church needed to move, when that church needed to move, and how that church needed to move. What an example for us today as we are living under stay-home orders. What a beautiful picture of how God desires to direct our every step as we would but turn to him collectively, uniquely, creatively, but prayerfully trusting him, hearing from him, and trusting him with today's step and tomorrow's step to where we could look back and say, look at the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look at how the Lord led us. Look at how the Lord directed us to where the word of God continued to be proclaimed through a pandemic. If we are to continue being the church, we will be a spirit-led church 
that continued to advance on their knees. Prayerlessness causes spiritual paralysis. The early church advanced on their knees. They were steadfast in prayer. Next, in verse 43, there's, the early church was marked by a, a supernatural awareness. Then it says, fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And the word fear there in the Greek is the word phobos. It refers to a, to a holy terror that comes with a sense of divine presence. Listen, as God worked in their midst through signs and wonders, there was an, an awe of God that marked this group. The presence and the power of God was manifest among them. The early church anticipated and expected God to work among them. They expected to encounter him, to experience his touch, to experience his power, to experience his presence. Each time they gathered, and we go through the book of Acts, we see him gathering sometimes in large groups and other times from house to house, as we'll see in a minute. Prayerfully, that is the case in your house as you're gathering right now. Prayerfully, you, you, you set a timer. You knew when this would start. You'd been talking to God. You, you, you put your house in order so that God would have order of your house. For the next you know, few minutes, you talked to the kids. You figured out how to kind of you know, let them do what they need to do so that you could sit down and worship and pray and study God's word together with many thousands that are listening to the same Bible study at the same time. Prayerfully, for the last eight weeks, as we've not been able to assemble in Calvary La Habra Sanctuary, you have taken the same serious approach. You have had this conviction about you. You've been sober about this time. You have approached this time with anticipation and expectation that God is going to meet you in your home or in your office through this online platform, listen, that he has chosen for his church during this season. I pray that you have not taken this lightly. I pray that you could look back at this and in this whole season, when we begin to reunite and regather and begin to experience God once again in a sanctuary setting, you could look at that and say, that was just like it was in my home. Because the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is not confined to these four walls that I'm standing in. I want you to know that when we teach these Bible studies and we gather for prayer, as I'm talking right now, Oftentimes throughout the Bible study, I could barely keep my heels on a platform because I sense the Spirit of God just overwhelming me and touching me and speaking through me. And I believe that this is 
a very unique time. I believe that this is a, a special season where the Lord has our attention in a very unique way. We started off our, our, our Passion Week weeks ago, and the Lord put on my heart, share with the people how, how I like to capitalize on crowds. This year, we just didn't know that the crowds would not gather on our property. This year during Passion Week, the crowds would gather in homes. But that cry of the heart of God, the same Savior that walked on this earth and loved to capitalize on crowds, is still desiring to capitalize on crowds, whether it's two or 2,000. Whether it's 10 in your home or 10,000 that might be listening to a study just like this. What is the spiritual environment of your home right now? What is the spiritual tone in your home right now? How dedicated and how prepared are you to receive from the Holy Spirit right now in your home? These people... The early church was regularly touched by the awe-inspiring presence of Jesus Christ as they gathered in whatever numbers they gathered. Again, if we are going to continue being the church, we are going to have to be a people who are marked by the Holy Spirit, listen, working in our midst as we gather. I pray, I pray that our church and those listening would not let the disruption of a pandemic keep them back, hold them back from missing out on what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do in the church as we are gathering in our homes. That's not to say we don't miss the large gatherings. That's not to say we don't pray for the day that we will open our doors and reunite in larger gatherings. But until that day comes, we are going to rest in the lot, as I said last week, that God has given us. And we will be content with what the Holy Spirit is doing throughout this world through the blood-bought body of Christ this day until the next day. And we will see this day just as special as days in the past. Because what is unique and what is special is not the numbers. What is unique and what is special is what God is doing in our midst, regardless of where it is and regardless of the numbers. Next, in verse 44, it, it says that there was just this authentic community. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
You know, the word community has become a, a buzzword in evangelical circles today. There's a real push for it. And I believe there's a real push for it because many churches over the last 10 years have failed to build it. But what Luke's describing here is a togetherness that is expressed in deed and in action. Ownership had to do with relationships, not possessions. These people belonged to each other. They were relational. They were family because that is what Jesus birthed. His family, the family of God. The moment that they were born again, they were adopted into the family of God. They became children of God, the family of God. And listen, true family will always find creative ways to do family. True family will always find creative ways to be family. All who believed were together in whatever ways they could be together. And they had all things in common. And then it goes on to say in verse 45, and they, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. At that point in time, there was a, a real need for communism. The church had, had birthed in Jerusalem during Pentecost. Many people stayed there. And there were a lot of uh, needs, instant needs. And so the idea is that the, the early church was marked by, by generosity. They were generous. They, they took care of each other's. Now, they began to look at who they were as, as gods. I'm now a child of God. And when you do that, you, you just begin to look at all that you have as gods. My marriage is gods. My family is gods. This church is gods. Our resources, all that we have is gods. These are kingdom resources. That's how they looked at it. Our world is obsessed with getting. A healthy church will be obsessed with giving. And again, it's important to note, <coughs> this was voluntary. It was purely voluntary. It was a response to the word and the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And if we are going to continue being the church, we're going to have to be a people that are marked by generosity. And I just want you to know that over the years, we have always been content with those that give of their time and give of their resources. It's always been humbling to me to know that anybody that, that has had their life transformed by Jesus Christ would want to, to give of their time or their resources to something that I'm part of. I understand giving back to God and, 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 and serving him. And, and I understand that love response. But when God begins to collectively draw people together 
And he begins to form a work and, and form vision and form opportunities for us to use our time and to use our resources collectively. That's always humbled me. And I've always felt that it's the responsibility of God to use his spirit to help people understand the word as it relates to giving and as it relates to, to serving. Sure, we teach it. We explain it. We, we talk about the opportunities that are available for it. In this pandemic, we, of course, made needs known. We let people know that, that we were doing porch ministry and, and you could come and bring whatever you want. Here's the list. And, and people have been faithful to do that. The financial giving that God has placed on people's hearts to continue the, the work that God has called us to here has been, has been humbling. It's been an amazing blessing to see the faithfulness of those people. And we thank God for all of that because it's a sign of the church continuing to be the church. It's one of those indicators that tell us, hey, we're healthy. We are being what Jesus birthed us to be when we are generous. Also, in verse 46, it says that there was some hospitality that marked this church, genuine hospitality of this church. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread also from house to house. You know, listen, a healthy church are, are, is made up of people who not only have a, an open heart as it reflects to generosity, but they have an open home. We cannot, church, let our culture or what is happening in our culture form and shape us in this area. This might be a very serious challenge for some people. For some people, they might say, listen, I've got some real underlying health issues. I've got some real fear issues. I've got some real uncertainty issues as a Christian. We understand that. We are compassionate towards that. And we understand that when you hear about hospitality, you're thinking about how in the world can I even get out of my home, let alone let someone into my home? Well, this is where some prayer is needed. This is where some steps of faith will be needed as it relates to modern technology. This is why throughout our church, we've got people calling and FaceTiming. This is why we've got all these Zoom meetings set up. This is why we have people going out to specific homes of people that are in need. And we knock on the door. We deliver whatever their, their need might be. And we, we pray for them. And we have some fellowship with them. The idea is we're taking hospitality on the road. <laughs> the idea is we're taking hospitality to platforms where hospitality can continue on. I have been invited to some smaller group settings. Lori and I have went and we have enjoyed the hospitality that has been afforded to us. We too have offered and extended hospitality in person-to-person -person settings, in small group settings. We've done the same where we shared meals over Zoom. I was on a Zoom call last night with a bunch of guys 
and, and we were breaking down the word of God together. And Lori texted me, would you like your dinner right now? And I was looking and different guys were eating and we enjoyed a meal as we talked through a Zoom call. I would encourage you to think about ways that you could be hospitable. Ways again where you're recognizing quite possibly the threat of the coronavirus and you're asking God to give you wisdom as it relates to the coronavirus. But it might be that you're able to go and, and, and you can go to Costco, well, maybe pick up an extra bag of cookies or something or make some cookies and think about another person that you can just go yourself, knock on their door and say, man, I just want to show a little hospitality. Here you go. My family, myself, we're thinking about you. We love you. We're praying for you. And let us know if we could do anything more for you. We, at this time, should capitalize on a world that's not thinking about hospitality. We should be capitalizing as a church on those who are hunkered down. We should be looking at this not so much as opportunity or as opposition, but as opportunity. And we should be praying for God to put things on our heart where we can continue to express hospitality. Next in verse 46, in verse 47, it says they did this with gladness and sincerity of heart. You know, many, many churches today are marked by sadness. But the early church was marked by gladness. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This was a healthy group. This was the result of them making the effort and praying together and hearing from God and catching vision from God on how they can continue to be unified even when they were being persecuted. They were a sharing group even when they were being persecuted. They were a group that was experiencing the presence and the power of God and they couldn't contain that. <laughs> they had to share that. There was gladness which means joy. They were rejoicing. And the idea of sincerity of heart, the Greek word is simplicity. The Greek word means, uh, they use this word to say that something is free from rocks or something that is made smooth. The idea is they kept it smooth and things ran smooth. When Jesus is our focus, there will be a sincerity about us. I'm going to say it again. When Jesus is our focus, there will be a sincerity about us. When we are earnest and straightforward with our love for Jesus and for one another, Ministry is not going to be complicated. Relating and interacting with others is not going to be complicated. If Jesus could work in and through the early church when they were oppressed by many of their loved ones and friends because they were saved and converted and they were opposed by the Roman government, if the early church could, could come together and Jesus could 
could work in and through them to advance everything we're studying, everything we're learning here, then he can do it today during the coronavirus pandemic. Verse 47, it says they were praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Listen, what's your attitude today as a church? What's your attitude today as a Christian? Your, your family, where you reside right now and where you're worshiping right now, what is the attitude of that church? What is the attitude of that spiritual setting? What is the attitude as you are having conversations over the last six weeks, eight weeks? Their attitude was an attitude of praise. Many times over the past, I'll drive home with, with Lori. We'll, we'll talk about what we experienced on a Sunday or a Wednesday. And many, many times we'll say, man, it just seems like, like, like people so appreciate what God's doing in our midst. They appreciate the Lord. Oftentimes I'll say, yeah, there's a, a certain song that just, it resonates in the heart of our church. We're praising God. There's an attitude of praise. And, and you look around the sanctuary, we're not asking people to stand. We're not asking them to raise their hands. But the words, as we're expressing them, and we're thinking about him, and we're focusing on Jesus, we can't help but stand and just lift our hearts and lift our hands. And Lori and I, we, we talk about that. That we have been a grateful group. A, a group that praises Jesus. And if you've attended here on a regular basis, you know I'm not stretching this at all. This is real. Question. Has that praise continued in your home? Has that attitude of praise continued in your marriage? Has that attitude of praise continued in your conversation with your kids? Has that attitude of praise continued with your neighbors and others that have a focus on anything other than Jesus Christ? If we are going to continue to be the church, we will need to be marked by an attitude of praise. Praising God for what he is doing in our life and in his church today. And interestingly enough, verse 47, they had favor with all people. Praising God and having favor with all people. Imagine that. For, for eight weeks now, I've had a devotion almost every day with staff and volunteers come out to serve in our disaster relief ministry. And I pray those three prayers, or those three requests in that prayer. God, give us vision today. <laughs> Lord, give us favor and give us the health to live out what you've called us to do. And I think when we are going to go out in the name of Jesus. We've got to go out in the way of Jesus. And that's to line up what we do with his word. And when we go out in the name of Jesus and in the way of Jesus, he will give us favor. Early on when I talked to some of our city leaders and just said, look, we have a heart. We have a heart to continue to reach our congregation. 
We want to respect the CDC. We want to respect the, the, the governing laws of our land. We want to work in conjunction with you as a city. But you know what we've been. We are an outreach-oriented church. We are a church that believes in prayer, and we are a, a, a church that believes in community, not just the four walls and who gathers within our four walls, but we believe in Jesus reaching our community. And I was talking to one of the city councilmen. I just said, man, if it would be okay to roll out our disaster relief ministry and each day have people come together and bake some food and, and gather some water, and if we could just take that out and do porch ministry, we would really appreciate that favor. And so some conversations happened, and I received a call, and it was just, it moved me to see the favor of God that he extended to our church. Listen, so we could continue to creatively and faithfully be the church. For us to come together on a regular basis and record all of the teachings in Spanish and Japanese the teachings to the youth, from the young ones all the way up to high school. The teachings to the men, the teachings to the women. The, the, the settings that we would have where all these recordings would be needed. And to have the ability to come onto this property and to put our masks on, of course, and to sanitize our hands and to social distance. Absolutely, no problem working through the pandemic. The Lord gave us vision, and the Lord has given us favor. <laughs> and up until this day, the Lord has given us health. We have stepped out in faith, faith in Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. And he has given us favor. Favor as we've knocked on people's doors. Favor as we've knocked on the city's doors. Favor with you, many of you, as we've just opened up our lives to you, opened up our Bible studies to you globally, God has given us so much favor. And I believe this favor of God is his affirming us going out in the name of Jesus for him and in the way of Jesus, following his example. Lastly, in verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What's that mean? Spontaneous evangelism. People were getting saved. With all that we have went through, these things that have marked the early church, we should not be surprised if the outcome is God looking at that group and going, I'm going to add to that group. I love that group. I love what they're doing. They are, they are talking about my son. They are pointing people to my son. They are following the, the model of my son. My son is working in their midst. And so I, I, I'm going to connect them. I'm going to connect those who have been transformed by my son to those who have yet to be transformed by my son. Oh, they have been faithful with, with the message of the gospel. So I'm going to 
I'm going to connect them. I'm going to line things up with people who need to hear the gospel. And when those two worlds converge, and there are genuine people who have genuinely been transformed by Jesus Christ, and they are genuinely convinced in God's word and what it can do when they share it with others, <laughs> you're going to see people saved. When believers live together in authentic, consistent, powerful community that brings honor to Jesus Christ, people are going to get saved. And if that's you, maybe you're one of those that God has brought into this Bible study. A friend loved you enough to invite you, send you the link. Maybe a, prayer, a parent or a friend or who knows, even a, a sibling or a relative has been praying for you. And you're sitting here going, man, that's me. You have an opportunity right now to give your life to Jesus. We love you. We might not know you, but we love you. We have been praying for you because we've been praying, Lord, use these Bible studies to bring salvation across this land. You might have a life right now that you like. You might have a life where you go, hey, things are going pretty good. But at the same time, you might say, but something's missing. Well, that's something that is missing is a personal relationship with your creator and your savior, Jesus Christ. You might be a person that says, look, my life isn't together. I, uh, I would say that my life is very difficult. Maybe you find yourself in bondage or, or, or shackled to something that you wish you could be set free from. Maybe it's something sensual. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a, an immoral relationship. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's something that you know just absolutely just grieves the heart of God. And you might be that kind of person that would say, man, how can God ever even accept me? How can God even want me? Well, I'm here to tell you, as we read God's word and we begin to understand who he is, he's not willing that any would perish. He sent his son to die on the cross for the worst. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. And salvation is a free gift offered to you. It's offered to all of us. If that's you, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm just going to ask you where you are, as long as you're not driving a car. If you are, you could pull over. But I want you just to, to bow your head with me and to, to pray along with me, but I want you to say these words to God. Say, Father, I confess to you right now that I am a sinner and I, I need salvation. And so, Jesus, talk to Jesus right now. Jesus, I would ask you right now to come into my life, wash me of my sin, Remove it from my life. Set me free from the bondage of whatever that might be in your life. Just confess that to him. Say, Lord, set me free 
from this or that. And just confess it to him. And ask him to fill you with his spirit. Say, Jesus, come into my life right now. I believe you died on the cross. You were buried and you rose from the dead. So come into my life and be my personal Lord and Savior. And if you've prayed that very simple prayer and you've meant it, you said it to him in your way, I would encourage you to thank him for saving you. Father, thank you for the work you're continuing to do. We love you. We love your word. We love, Holy Spirit, what you're doing through these in-home online services. Continue to advance your word and your work through our hearts as we gather in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys.